Yeah. But you made it. Yay. All right. Um, so, last week, Tim and Karen uh, led Bible study, and they did their, the, the stories, the testimonies of God, um, the goodness, the faithfulness of God, and um, sounds like that was great. Um, but bef- the week before that, I think when I did it, um, one of the things we got into was the, the spirit and soul and body divide, um, which, which we were talking about the Trinity, the Godhead Trinity, and we talked, but with that, I talk about the spirit, soul, and body of us kind of being made in his image. We have that same three part dynamic, and um, I felt like we discussed that pretty clear. Everybody good with that? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> but it does create other questions and other thoughts and ideas, and certain things pop up. And uh, with that, you know, if you were here Sunday, we were talking about the kind of the, the things that God orchestrated to get to this perfect recipe where Jesus enters the earth. Um, a perfect recipe with um, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth um, getting receiving this, this word from Gabriel that they're going to have this John the Baptist coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. And, uh, and so with that, if you, we, I kind of hinted on it on Sunday that to kind of cue you into, these are some of these verses that help you make a little more sense of the spirit, soul, and body divide and how uniquely different the spirit is that we have from God and, and our soul and our bodies. It's, it's that same, like, we think we're one thing because we operate as one thing, but we're kind of three parts like him. And so what we said a couple weeks ago in the Trinity discussion was, it's easier to try to make sense of yourself to help make sense of God. And that sounds weird, but it's just, it's only because it says we're made in his image. So there's something about us that's very similar to him. And so it's easier to sometimes to make sense of these things. Yes? Yeah. And so um, just because of the nature of um, it's Christmas time, and this is not a Christmas time topic per se, but Elijah coming back. Had to precede Jesus because of the prophecies, and then John the Baptist received the spirit of Elijah. So I thought I would cover this idea that this spirit of Elijah came back into John the Baptist, um, and 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 all of the verses that surround that, because that'll help us make sense of how distinct the spirit in us is. Yes. Yes. Everybody, good with this. Yes. And is 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 it, is this exciting? So exciting. Does, or does literally no one care? I don't know. Are you recording it? Yes, we're recording it. Question. Yes. Um, you just said a couple weeks ago you talked about spirit, soul, body. If you had to give like a two-minute snippet or less, what would that be? I, I wasn't here. and I Are these being recorded now? That one was. That, that one, one was. We were all in that room, though. Yeah. Y'all were doing the, yeah, the things. Why. Yes, Miss Heather. So, Moving on from Brie. Sometimes when I've been listening, I can't. Yeah. I don't know what she's talking about. Okay, so Heather just said that the questions are hard to hear on the recordings. And that if I would repeat them back, it may be in summary form. 
uh, usually preferably, that it would be easier to hear that. Before that, she interrupted me answering Bree's question of a two-minute or less summary of the spirits. I'm only messing with Heather because she's my number one, Heather Maxey. Um, the spirit, soul, and body divided. So, um, two minutes or less, super easy. In a nutshell, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's verses in Thessalonians, this is a very clear one, which says that we are spirit, soul, and body. The body part of you is very easy to figure out. It's the physical flesh part of you, uh, bones and all that. Um, the soul part of you <clears throat> is the soul part of you is, is easiest to make sense of. Like that is all of what you really think of as yourself. That has your emotions, it has your feelings, your excitement, your disappointments, your anxieties, your joy. It's it's where it's kind of the, the brain soulish part of you that possesses feeling. And it kind of is, it, it typically is the part of you that will, that will drive where the ship is going a lot of times, naturally speaking. The, soul, the spirit part of you is a part of you that came from God before you were formed in your womb, in the body, and the soul was being formed in your mother's womb. You also got a third part, a spirit from the Lord. And it says that that spirit... It says that God knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. I'm sorry, something's tickling me. I was going to say, do you see the tissue? Like, I nothing's to... going on that we can see, but just... They can't see anything. <laughs> His face was for radio. <laughs> the soul part of you um, has all those emotions. It also has, this is a very important thing for the bigger picture of Jesus, it also is where your generational curses and blessings will reside. Um, the spirit part of you comes from God. He's, it's a spirit that the Father births these spirits. He's the Father of spirits. He sends a spirit to be in this triune body, soul, spirit thing. And the spirit is, and then when you're all said and done, the spirit's going back to heaven. According to, that's scriptural. Yes. We're going to read yeah, them. Gonna, yeah. This is the summary. <laughs> the spirit's going back. The spirit's going back with or without your soul. And so the idea is that we are, uh, as Christians, we believe that we are all here and our purpose is to save souls, right? And so there's this body part, super easy. Spirit part comes from God, kind of knows how to get back to God, if that makes sense. Like it's very spirit man, like the Paul uses the language spirit man, flesh man, a new man, old man. Spirit man knows where it came from and knows how to get home. And it's trying to get you there all the time. Yeah soul side of you, depending on what kind of, you know, what you're born into, that one might be going the wrong direction from the get-go. The spirit side of you is constantly trying to push you in that direction and, and transform your soul to, you know, get you back to God, back to Jesus. And then, the, and then you have this third factor of once you're in the Lord with Jesus, that you can start to interact with his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to interact with your spirit. Um, and so, uh, is that a good enough two minutes summary? Yeah. <laughs> so you have the, the soul side of you that has all the emotions and whatnot. And that's where this, when Paul's talking about taking your thoughts captive and, you know, it, essentially we're not subject to these emotions anymore. We no longer have to be anxious. We anxious for nothing. And everything that we, that we would consider a soulish problem is we have scriptures that said we don't do that anymore. And we have this other part of us that's really trying to push us in the right direction. Like you might be down in the dumps and feeling bummed out about life and blah, blah, blah. 
And then, but there's this other thing in you that's like, yeah, let's go be awesome. That's the spirit part of you. Or when you want to be angry at your spouse or your neighbor or whatever, but there's other things like, no, don't do that. That's the spirit part of you. Now, it's a, it's a very subtle driver. The soul part of us is very loud typically, um, but the more we just let the spirit decide where we're going and, as they say, follow the spirit, um, it's, 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 it's going gonna, it's gonna to start to get that soul transformed and effectively get it saved. Now, John 1, the Gospel of John says that Jesus was the light that was in every man that came in the world, but not all would choose the right to become his children. We have this language. I like, to, I like to connect that to the fact that there's this spirit that comes from heaven and then goes back to heaven, right? So there's this light that's in all of us. And that's where the whole, you know, almost every testimony is, uh, before I came to God, he just started tugging on my heart and, and, and just, he just, he was leading me and guiding me. And then I finally gave my life to Jesus and and we kind of have a hard time rectifying that with our Western doctrines. We're like, we're super lost and demonish before we have this altar call moment. And then we have this altar call moment and all of a sudden we're angels of God. And, and, and none of that is actually very accurate, right? There's more like God put something in us to get us to him from the get-go. And he's constantly trying to get us there, which is why everybody's testimony is this thing in my heart just started just fluttering. It was just it was lead, leading me and leading me. It's all of a sudden God has somehow awakened the part of you that it might have been deadened for a while, the spirit side of you, and it's 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 pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, and then and then that never stops. Like effectively, once we do give our life to Jesus as we do and submit to His authority, that leading of the Spirit never actually stops. There's times when our soul is a lot louder, and we go through seasons of soulish times and and. Um, and, and then it's just, it's dark and it's heavy and it's just, and it's discouraging. It's no, it's no bueno. But there's other times where we just do what our spirit's telling us to do without giving that soul side much, much thought, without giving it much of a, you know, much leg to stand on. And everything's just good. Everything's just good. Now, on a, um, this is totally off subject, but from what we're talking tonight, but this is why the soul spirit divide and then how important it is to follow your spirit and not subject yourself to the emotions of the soul. The reason why that, um, one of the things that becomes very, very important on that topic, and this is the one that a lot of younger Christians don't like, is music. Music is basically like a keychain to what's going on inside of you. And so if you listen to... Um, not all genres of music are going to affect each person the same. But if there's a part of you that came from a, let's just say, I came from very poor backcountry um, time and place, right? And just poverty and, and hopelessness and, and, and just hard hardships. Like it was rough, it was tough, it was poor, it was hard. And um, so when I listen to, if I hear... Um, uh, real sad, like not this modern country stuff, that's awful, but um, if I listen to old, like, sad country music, like, it awakens a part of me that's not really alive anymore, but, like, it's it's like you've given it permission to crank that part back up, um, or death metal, or heavy metal, or rap, or whatever, there's, there's might be something from your past that you'll notice that... You've kind of killed it off, but then all of a sudden you, you, you find yourself in this musical atmosphere where it's, I'm, I'm really, I got a bad, bad muscle, I can't dance good name, but it's, um, 
I was trying to dance a little bit. But you'll, you'll notice like you, something that's familiar to you will awaken a part of you. And what's going on is there's a part of your soul that your spirit man's been killing off. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you with music, because it is like it is truly like this a portal into your into your soul, it awakens it. And that's why, I really, I got away from listening to almost all music. So, um, you will not catch me dead in a store who plays heavy rock, heavy rock from the late 90s because it's, there's too much of me that knows what to do with that. And so I just walk out. I just don't do shit. I just don't shop there. You know, like, there's certain things that I've learned, even at this point, 23 years, four years into following the Lord, I just know that there's a part of me that that music can kind of turn on. And I don't like that part of me. And so you start to get really sensitive to what is soul in you and what is spirit in you. And you start to become acutely aware of the fact that we are going to be transformed by the spirit of the Lord. And he's following our spirit. And it does transform your soul. It's not like that, that dog is just lying there waiting to hear the right song to come back awake. Like it's not really there. And I'm not saying that I can't walk into a store and hear some music from the 90s and... and uh, and not survive it, you know what I mean? But what I'm saying is, is if even a flutter of that coming alive, yeah. I don't want it. Yeah. I just don't want it. Like, it's it's dead. It's a it's a part of my life that I, that I have no fond memories of. I don't want that to come alive yeah. again. Um, so, so there's this solar side of us that it's the transformation of our souls is very important. And that's why, I, you know, we believe here, uh, essentially, we believe in a transformation gospel. This is not a, you know... You get a magic ticket to for all, and that's all that is. Like, no, this is transformation gospel. And part of that is there's going to be things you put away, and there's going to be things you kill and have to die off inside of you. And then you're going to spend the rest of your life making sure it doesn't come back. And I don't mean like in a fearful, like, oh, it's, it's we're so weak, you can't. I just mean like at some point you're like, yeah, that type of music or thing or whatever, atmosphere, it awakens something inside of me that I don't want. And, and, and we just, we have to guard that soul and spirit side of us very, very carefully. That makes sense? Yeah. Um, and then we even have one music that's called what? Emo. Well, that wasn't where I was going. <laughs> Sorry, it's emotional. Soul music. I should have gave more preference to that. Soul music. Soul music was written by a downtrodden people who... who um, you know, not judging them per se uh, at all. They were a very downtrodden people, but they wrote a soulish music that is the true suffering of their soul. And if you listen to it, I don't care if you have no allegiance or alliance to whatever was going on at that time. If you listen to it, you're like, man, this is heavy, heavy. Because they they put in music form the suffering of their soul that was going on. And yeah. it's, 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 some, it's a lot to the music thing. It's a lot more to it than people want to admit. And so that's why, for those of you who listen to all kinds of non-Christian music, that's why you'll notice I take a jab at it every time I can. <laughs> it's Pastor Matt's job. Yes, sir. Isn't um, the power of music, in your opinion, as it, my opinion is that because music was done away with, uh, thrown out of the, the, the leader of music was thrown out of heaven and cast to earth, Somewhere in the scripture, I got the feeling that that gift and ability to produce melodic sounds of praise and worship was given to humans. That yeah. it is a gift uh, 
it ties to the spirit of the Lord or not. Yeah, I think it's a powerful tool that was meant to move mountains, essentially. And um, I think like I think like a lot of things in the um, in the Earth's history, it was a powerful tool that was meant to move mountains, but it got abused and it got misused. And and you have things like you know our church history. You know, we we, we look at Satan as the 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 angel of music, and you know, he fell. And so it's this real tug of war of like. Music is a meant to be a powerful weapon, mm -hmm. but it can go either way. And I do, you know, and I, you know, when I was a younger Christian, I didn't take it serious, and I, I, I did both. I was like, oh well, I, this Christian music is awful. I'm going to listen to my old secular music, and I'm just going to do both. It's, you know, without being too conscious of what I was doing, that's what I tried. And I can just tell you, it just doesn't work. And and most people make that mistake, and most people uh, figure it out as they go. So I don't worry about it too much. Uh, but effect, sooner or later. If you follow the Lord enough, you'll get tired of listening to music that's, that's, that's giving you, you permission to feel something other than what you're doing. Um, and so you just grow into these ideas. That was, you know, we don't judge people for their journey, but it's, um, it is something that I do like to push people on because it is really, really big part of this component of living in the spirit versus living in the soul. Where did Brie go? I was answering her question. <laughs> I exceeded my two-minute mark. <laughs> I just kidding. He was like, where's Bree? I was answering her question. You were still answering my question. Well, you missed the mark for yeah. sure. No, I, I like giving you guys a hard time. You, know, you can leave again. I was just kidding. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, she's getting taken a half time. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I was like, I gotta get him. Yeah. I only requested two minutes, and specifically or less. Yes, Miss Crystal. Repeating the question into the phone, Crystal is asking because of the sermon on Sunday. I, I claim, and not many people claim this, but I do claim that um, Jesus is what Jesus was born into a virgin because it skipped the generational curses that we would pass through the Father. And Crystal's question is, does it only pass through the Father? From a rational standpoint, I would say that doesn't make any sense. From a biblical standpoint, it's always through the Father's. It's always through the Father. Um, from a rational standpoint, it doesn't make sense at all. Biblically, it's always passes through the Father. The, the, the promises, the curses would, blessings would pass down through the Father's and curses pass through the Father's. And, and, and some of that might be literal. Some of it might be, um, it could be just their figurative language they use a lot. You'll notice that um, the masculine, well, if you study language a lot, you'll notice that all, all their Greek and Hebrew words, they have a masculine or a feminine um, pretense. And, and so uh, it's, it's just in a nutshell, things that are supposed to carry something and give something are masculine. Things that receive something are feminine. And so the church is always referred to in the feminine, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son. It's all, these are all masculine terms because they, they give 
they bring something and the church receives something. There's always a, a groom and a bride. You know, there's always this, and it's not, it's, it's a lot of that's figurative language. But as far as the generational curse is only passing through, only passing through males, you know, you also, another thing that helps make sense of that a little bit is, and this is a part of our culture that we have kind of lost to some degree in our understanding, is that we effectively become one in marriage. So the woman was taken from the man, and, and so a piece of him was taken out to make her. And so he no longer had that piece of him, and, and so he would immediately want that piece back. And there's, so the natural order is that, you know, there's this, there's this thing, this, this early Adam that needs a, a partner uh, you know, like it, and he takes something out of him and makes a woman. And, and, um, and so then these natural, these two, so then when they get married, they come back together as one. And so how it passes through there, I don't know. Maybe my idea that, 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 that that's why the virgin birth is, but literally, I can't think of any other reason. <laughs> so. Yeah, were you done? Hold on, she's on. I don't think she's done. I thought that was a good explanation. The one flesh, yeah. God, no, did, I, a great, I, God did a great thing when he made woman, I'll tell you what. He did. <laughs> yeah. We had a good thing going. He took it from us. <laughs> so it's amazing that you answered it the way you did. Um, because as I was sitting there, the minute Crystal asked that question, the thing I thought was, it's really amazing. So I will say just very briefly, some of you women have heard this, like um, cool things of the church I grew up in. One of the areas that wasn't so cool, and why Matt and I are so passionate about it, is they didn't actually do a lot of marriage counseling. Like, I didn't actually understand what it was to cleave to a husband. Like, I didn't understand it from a spiritual sense. I had it from, like, a love. I can quote scriptures. And so I actually, later in life, even though we, we've been together forever, I love that man. Like, he's awesome. Like, I actually, the Holy Spirit had to teach me what it meant to cleave to my husband. And I noticed generational issues that I had, the more I cleaved to man, would go away. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so, so like, when Matt answered it that way, my heart leapt because I can genuinely see that. And like, I feel like as time goes on, the Lord's going to give me more scripturally around that. But just from a from a practical standpoint, or I should say, a spiritual standpoint, I've seen that. I've seen that as I've learned to. Cle- and I get it. We've worked through a lot. Like, there's a lot of abuses and misunderstandings of even the word submission. And like, it's really sad that the enemy has done so much around that. When really God gave it to us as a gift. That as we cleave, there's this freeing that happens. That we actually become more emboldened and more just spiritually available. And all these blessings when we know what cleaving really happens, like how to actually do it. Um, But there is a spiritual thing that needs to take place. So you can be married, and that's with me. You can be married for years and years and not be cleaved, right? This is not a heaven or hell thing. It's just like I wasn't reaping the spiritual benefits that come from being cleaved. Um, and I noticed as the more I was cleaving and the more I am, like all of that, like those generational curses were changed. So right when Matt, right when you asked it that way, that's me the way I thought. And Matt answered it that way. So high five. Good job, Matt. Okay, you need to repeat yeah. all that. So. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can hear Kirsten. Yeah. Well, it's even yeah. better, I think it's even better than even, uh, there's even more important things. My father was Greek. He came from a fully Greek home. My grandparents are both from Greece. And when he became a Christian, he started teaching us, because he had five sons, the reality of our responsibility as men toward our wives. Mm -hmm. It never tells our wives to love us. It always tells us to love our wives sacrificially. Always. 
Yeah. And what's sacrificial love? It means you're ready to die for her. That's a hard thing for American males. Because we you know, we wanna we want them to love us, but it's not it's not a woman's never told to love her husband, told to, to respect, cleave. Yeah. But husband's prime responsibility yeah. is to love his wife unconditionally. Yeah. yeah. Like Christ loved the church. Like, like, like Christ, Christ loved the church. church. Yeah. And man, that's that's uh, that's a toughie. Yeah. That ain't yeah. Easy. It's a big one. Yeah, we I shared a video a while not too long ago from Tim Mackey about the language in there and the, the, all the language in there about loving your wife and loving your husbands and submission and, and, the, and the, 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 if you break those words down and, and look at the order that they're, that they're in, it's this really beautiful balance of like, you know, wives are supposed to be submitting to a husband that's, you know, literally like Christ, willing to live and die for the well-being of something far putting the well-being of her far above yeah. his own. She, she's supposed to be submitting yeah. to something that's like, why wouldn't you submit to that? Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. The, the, you know, yeah. the, the 1950s pot-bellied man demanding another beer. Those days are over, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, these are biblical terms that are supposed to be like, man, men have the highest calling and a grace to be that, like a grace to carry those loads and those burdens. And, yeah. and then, you know, women actually got the better end of this deal if you look at it scripturally, yeah. I'm not saying historically it has been the better end of the deal. I'm saying from what Jesus intended, it's the better end of yeah. the deal. The inheritance is so, good. Um, so what do you do if like, so like from my father's side, there was just a lot of like trauma, mental health and, and extreme like violence. Yeah. And he said even his great grandmother like would worship all these spirits. Yeah. She's from Puerto Rico. It's bad business. And then... So, and I have a brother, and then there's me, and I feel like we both struggle with different things that, like, kind mm-hmm. of generationally came from that side. Yeah. But it's like, so, I guess, like, not to say my brother's doomed, but it feels like more like his battle Yeah, the odds of him doing well in life are slim, short of him having a true encounter with Jesus. Really. Yeah. That's most of us. Yeah. Your odds are a little better. Yeah. Not just because of Jesus, but because you married a man who loves Jesus. Yeah. And if you can learn, like Chris, Kirsten said, I almost called her wrong name. Why? <laughs> you can learn, as Kirsten said, to truly, to truly leave your mother and father, as it yeah. says, and cleave to the to the new one. Then, like you, kind of come under a whole new system. Yeah. So again, better into the deal. Yeah. Um, but everybody, male or female, has these things that have to be covered yeah. by the blood of Jesus. Yeah. And that's why we all are so codependent on him. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are, where you're from. You probably have something he needs to heal you from and set you free from. Yeah. Some of us way worse than others. Now, if you come from, like, the deepest, darkest depths of depravity, that's your generational lines, then God's going to set you free and he's going to do so much. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. Um, and, and the whole time, you're going to be fighting that fighting that battle with Jesus on your side. You can tell yourself that you're fighting a battle that your children won't have to fight. Amen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Imagine if you started life off without that disadvantage, and that's your kids. That's the, the hurdles we, we jump over and the battles we fight with Jesus. We're fighting so our kids don't have to do it. It's why, it's why the promise is, for those who follow the commandments of the Lord, blessings will pass down for a thousand generations. And so it just keeps passing and passing and passing. And, and it's a beautiful thing. There was never in no part of the Bible, no covenant, 
that ever existed, even pre-Jesus' new covenant, there's no covenant where God didn't have a contingency to fix this problem. It's just they, they all got, as the covenants evolved, they got easier and easier and easier and to where it's still a serious problem unfixed, but it's really easy to fix it now. Yeah. And, and, and there's, no, there's no stone that he can't turn over uh, turn and get what's the what's hiding under and fix it. Yeah. It's really really easy. And and honestly, the the whole system is meant to become like this. It's mo- it's meant to become like a perpetual motion type idea where the the more we go, the brighter the fire gets, and the brighter the fire gets, the the nicer the land gets because the land gets reformed with us. The land was subjected to futility, as it says, with the fall of man, and it's anxiously awaiting for the full manifestation of the saints of God. And so everything is getting redeemed at once. It's how we're on seven continents now. It's how we're, it's like we're the largest, you know, not everybody's doing it the same way. That's true. But still, the majority of the world claims Christianity. And there's missionaries everywhere. Like, it's just... It's because it's this fire that's going to keep going and going and going. It's never going to stop. And we individually are all part of that. Now, it doesn't matter where we came from. God can fix it. But we all, like we talked about on Sunday, um, you're going to have these moments where the, you're going to say, something's got to change, and, and God's going to start orchestrating the universe around you, but you've got to walk through those doors. And, you know, honestly, if, if what you're saying, if that's how you grew up, and then you married Ben, you were walking through those doors. You know what I mean? From an early on. Like you you married a good man who had a good heart, who who knew the Lord. I'm just using you for example since you asked the question. And then and then now you guys have found a place that you say encourages you to draw even closer to the Lord. So you're steadily walking out of that mess with the Lord, and your kids aren't gonna know it. Imagine, look how young your kids are. Imagine if you stick the pace that you're running now with Ben and the Lord. If y'all keep that pace up to the day you die. What will your kids won't even even have a concept of what you speak of? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. why not? What an opportunity! <laughs> what an opportunity! To the point that actually we believe it, and that sounds like a very natural thing, but we actually believe it in a spiritual sense. More importantly, in that we think that even um, an an elderly couple, let's just say hypothetical, Tim and Karen had not followed the Lord their whole lives. They had made some mistakes raising their kids and whatnot. We believe that people, even at an older point in life, could truly get on fire for the Lord and the, and the reverberations would actually start to go backwards yeah. and that their grown children and grandchildren would start to feel it. Now, maybe they don't instantly step into full success, but the seeds get planted in the shockwave that goes out. Yeah. And so this is everything we do has a purpose. We're no longer just not going to hell. We're changing the landscape of humanity particularly our family lines. Like we're reshaping the world like apostles reshape culture. We're changing everything with everything that we do. Bad days are not just bad days. They're setbacks in the grander purpose of our life and why we're even here. We have a really clear mission to be alive. It's not just to, you know, make it to the end. Like it's a weird idea. We, every single day we have purpose and function. Whether you encounter someone to pray with or minister to or not, totally irrelevant because we have this crazy thing called prayer where, where Jesus can hear us talking to him in heaven and he can send his paracletus, this Holy Spirit, on behalf of him. He can send them on behalf of him to someone. You can pray for someone else who you're not even talking to. Don't even tell him you're talking, praying for him. 
And the Holy Spirit can go minister to that person in that morning time. Like we have a crazy job on this earth. And, 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 and you'll notice that when you have hard times and you're getting down in the dumps and you have these soulish moments, you'll notice that if you stopped and took an assessment, did a little employee evaluation, you're not doing your job. And so that job sounds like a job, but it's actually the thing that saves us from ourselves. Yeah? Because Jesus was a selfless king. It's an upside-down kingdom. He served as a king. And so to follow him, we must do our jobs and serve the world around us in his name. And it liberates us from the plight that we call humanity. It's a pretty great plan. Yeah? Anybody else got any questions before we get started? <laughs> Story. I think I know the answer to it, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Um, generational pass down is more about like who raised you, not biological. Well, biological seems to be a thing, mm -hmm. but the spirit of adoption seems to be a real thing too. Okay. And so you can be um, spiritually adopted, like we think of it like legal adoption, but it's more for this purpose, it's more like spiritual adoption. Like once somebody becomes your spiritual parent, I don't mean like in the church world ideas, I mean like literally going to raise you, like you do kind of graft into that, that vine, you know what I mean? And so it becomes a... It becomes a thing. And so, yeah, so in your case, for those of you who don't know, Miss Tori was adopted. Um, is that okay to say? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she said that, yeah. Should have, should have asked. Should have been like, should have been like. Be like, I'll be like the men in black, they put my glasses on, be like, just hold on one second, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a four-hour meeting. I just keep starting over. <laughs> uh yeah, so, oh my gosh. and that becomes too, like, um, that, that, that whole, you know, we think about it as father's passing thing, and like we talked about, and then you bring up, you know, who raised you versus what you were naturally, and, and it's, it all, it's, it's a little muddy, to be honest with you, there's not a lot of like, alright, this is how it works, sections of the Bible that breaks it all out. This is like the whole Bible pieced together, building these ideas. So we don't actually know. What we do know is, is if you have a, let's say you have a hypothetical group of friends over here that do not love the Lord, absolutely do not love Him. They actually, let's just say, love witchcraft or something. Really extreme. But they're good, you know, good people. And they're my friends. You know, maybe from somehow you got connected with this group of people. You'll notice that as long as you're connected with this group of friends, that things will go oddly, weirdly wrong for your life. No matter how much you come to this church and love Jesus and do the potluck and doing all the stuff and I'm trying to read my word and I'm listening to it. But as long as, you're, as long as you have spiritual ties yeah. to other things, yeah. um, then, then it's like the music. It's a key. It's a key that yeah. opens up a part of you that's not always supposed to be opened up. And so it's that finding that fine line of this notion of love and evangelism, and there's a couple ideas that um, if you take any one of them alone, isolate them, and, you know, take some things out of proportion, well, then all of a sudden, well, yeah, I'm supposed to hang out with this group of witchcraft people because I'm going to be the shining star that leads them to Jesus. But that never happens. For those of you who have tried this methodology, and we all speak from experience if you haven't tried it, it doesn't work. 
because you're outnumbered. You're on their ground. You're on their terms. You're you're getting sucked into them way faster than they're getting sucked into you. I promise you every single time. It's why we stick together. It's not to isolate ourselves away from the world so the world can't see it. It's so that when something else comes, we outnumber it. It's a numbers game. Now, luckily, we're, we're the dominant majority of the world, so it's a lot easier to outnumber things. But you still have to be wise in how you align yourself with certain things and certain people. And, and it's why, honestly, on a smaller degree, don't want to open up this topic too big, but on a smaller degree, even voting, to me, is I'm not, I can't say thus say the Lord on any of this, on this one, but I have a hard time sometimes voting for politicians. I'm like, I know they stand for maybe a, this over here seems more godly, but there, there's this other part of them that's so not godly. And, yeah. and, and, I can, and I'm not, and if you think I'm talking about whichever party, I'm talking about both of them. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I have a hard time even voting sometimes because I'm like, I feel like I should cast a vote against evil. But they're both evil, and I, and it's and I don't and I'm and I'm just super funny about aligning myself with things that I know are ungodly, um, and so and that's again it's because it all goes back to the spirit soul thing. There's a part of you that will always be confused by man's opinion of these things, and that's the soul part of you. There's this other part of you who just knows what's good and right, and always wants to go do that. And you'll notice that part of you, if you get a little more sensitive to listening to that part of you, that part of you has a much better plan. It doesn't run you to death. It doesn't overcommit you. It doesn't um, get you into situations where you absolutely have no idea what to do. It actually leads you into a very simple life if you'll have it. But it's a productive life, but it's a simple life. And, and it keeps your focus very small. And, it's, and it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, the spirit side of you. The soul side of you is a hot mess a lot of times, unless it's been really beaten down by the spirit side of you in a good way. Transformed was the word Kirsten preferred me to use for those of you listening (laughs) on the radio. Beaten down. Beaten down. All right. Y'all want to hear about Elijah? The spirit of Elijah? This is like the one and only change you're ever going to hear it, so listen quick. We got nine minutes. Y'all good with just running through it? I don't have to. Please do. Mr. Josh. Worship seems not needed. Yes. Okay, just in case you didn't know. That is, but don't tell me that because there's three men in the back who are dedicating their lives to working all day and then watching children all night while we do this. (laughs) We can be a little late. All right, I'll go super fast to listen super good. In the book of Kings, around chapter 17, we pick up Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet, if you don't know much about him, go back and read these two guys, Elijah and Elisha, very important prophets of the Old Testament. These guys were the prophets of power. Elijah is the first one. He is bad to the bone. In a world where no one knew what the Holy Spirit was, he carried him in a real deal way. He shows up, he, short list here, he stops the rain, meaning they're an ungod, they had turned to ungodly ways. He says, it shall not rain again until I tell it otherwise. It doesn't rain for over three years. He causes a radical detrimental drought to the land because he, walk, he is the conduit of God on earth at this time. He has this miraculous food ministry where he goes to these dying widows and he's like, God's like, God, it's, it's this crazy idea. It's, God says, 
because of the drought, everybody's dying, starving. He says, go to this town, such and such town. There's going to be a widow there to provide for you. He shows up and this widow is, has nothing. She has nothing. She's taking a death walk out into the yard to get some sticks to make the last fire, to make her last piece of bread, to eat it and die. This is who God sent to provide for him. And he said, if you'll give it to me, it'll never stop. And it becomes this magical, miraculous food ministry where the oil never ran out, the, the flour never ran out, till the end of the drought, it never ran out because of these words. He raised her dead son from, from the dead. Um, you know, I'm, I, this is just a short list, right? Um, calls down fire, like he, there's this battle with the prophets, and he's like, oh, prophets of Baal, they're not real prophets. I'm a real prophet. And so these guys are, you know, dancing around. He's mocking them. He's like, maybe your God's taking a nap. It's like... This is like the bad, him alone against the most wicked nation at the time, you know, or lost nation. He said, maybe he's taking a nap. Talk louder. He can't hear you. And he's just mocking them and mocking them. Then he's like, pour water on my sacrifice. And they pour so much water on it that the, the fire, it becomes like a pool of water. And then he calls down the fire of God and it consumes the water, the, the sacrifice, the sticks, the stones, everything. It just, it's a rat. this army comes to get him one time. He burns up the whole army. they like, you're coming with us. And he's like, nope. Fries him. Like, he fries whole armies with, like, I don't want to go with you right now. And, like, this dude is, like, the Holy Spirit with no no check. Like, he just, it's like, but it's in a dude who just does this crazy stuff, right? He also never dies, which is a very interesting thing. So the story of Elijah, by the time we get to 2 Kings, he's, he has been instructed by God to pick up his predecessor, which is, oddly enough, has a name almost exactly the same. Elisha. Elisha, and he picks up his predecessor. He's walking with him. He's learning his ways. They're going by the time you get to 2 Kings chapter 2. Um, there's this, uh, Elisha becomes aware that he's going to be taken. Elijah's going to be taken. And so they get down, they, they uh, <clears throat> cross the River Jordan. And then he says, uh, he's going to be taken from him. And he says, um, what must I, what do you want me to, Elijah says, what do you want me to do, it, what, do for you? In 2 Kings 2.19, he says, And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I may do for you before I'm taken away from you. Elijah said, Please let me, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So spirit, soul, body. Remember, let a double portion of that thing that God gave you that makes you function like this on earth. Let me have a double portion of that. He goes on to say, um, This is a very hard thing that you've asked, but... If you see what I'm taking up, you shall, it shall be done for you. If not, it will not be. Um, whole story, I'll skip it. For those of you who have seen artwork only, Elijah does not ride a chariot of fire into heaven. Um, although that is 99% of all art depiction, it says the whirlwind took Elijah into heaven. It says, if you see me when I'm taken up, you'll receive the double portion. If not, you will not. It says that then... A horse and chariots on fire passed between them as a whirlwind took him up. And it says he must not have been distracted. I mean, can you imagine like a horse on fire runs in front of you? Like, Whoa! But that's the moment when Elijah would have been gone and he would have missed it. He was trying to see, as we talk about, the don't look away crew. I need a man who don't look away no matter what. So this chariot of fire passes between them, but he sees him go up in a whirlwind, therefore receives a double portion. It's a really cool thing. Right, his Elisha's uh, ministry looks alarmingly like Elijah's. Why? Because he received the spirit of Elijah. Right, 
Um, same type of miracles. There's more of them. They're a little bit larger scale sometimes, but very similar. We'll skip to the end of Elisha's story, and we'll go, by the time you get to 2 Kings, this is a lot of times passed, but Elisha actually dies. Unlike his um, predecessor, he doesn't get taken up into the whirlwind. He actually just dies. He gets sick and dies, and, and they bury him, and it says, and then Elisha died, and they buried him, and, their raiding, and the raiding bands from the Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year, so it was they were burying a man that suddenly spied the band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down, he touched the bones of Elijah and, re and revived and stood up on his feet. So they dropped a dead man on top of Elisha's bones, and he came back to life. Yeah? Now we're going to go on to see in a little bit that that's not because the spirit is in the bones. But I'd like to put that in there to show that the spirit is given to us to transform us. See, spirits come, spirit is given to us to guide us and lead us, and but also to transform us, right? So he was so transformed by the spirit he carried those years that even his bones could bring dead, dead bodies back, yeah. right? It's, it's this power of God is meant to permeate the earth. Now, I said earlier in passing, I said that it's, we're living in this perpetual motion system where the more we do this, the bigger and brighter the light goes and we transform everything, including the earth. What if we all were these fully manifested saints of God who walked and talked like Jesus said we were supposed to? And what if our bones were so saturated with the Holy Spirit that they were where you could, you know, something could touch them and life could come back into them? But what if we're going to, these bones are going to ultimately decay? Right? What if the earth is then getting fertilized with Holy Spirit bones? Like, see, even the earth gets transformed in the, in the revealing of the saints of God. It's this, see, it's, I, mean, I get excited about weird stuff, sorry. No, it's, it's very exciting. <laughs> huh? So you may, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Go with it, all right? If you've got better ideas, we'd love to hear them. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 12, 7. This is, um, this is where we kind of... This is the clearest verse you're going to find. This is what it talks about when a man dies. You can go back and read the context of these. It goes back in 12, uh, 7. It's talking about a man dying. And it says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. It's talking about when we die. The body goes to where it came from. Remember where Adam came from, right? He formed him from the dust, Right? He was formed from the dust, back to the dust. Ashes to ashes, that's where the whole prayer comes from. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So we're formed from the dirt, effectively. So our body is going to go back to the earth where it belongs to become fertilizer. Now, are we going to, we talked about every day has a purpose and we have a job to be alive on this earth. Part of your job, if nothing else gets you going, you got to be good fertilizer when you're done. Yeah? But this is where we see that that spirit came from God, and will go to God. This is just one of the places, but this is the really clear line that, that really shows you like, oh yeah, okay, well there's like, there's this obvious like, not everything clumps together, right? And so we're going to keep going. This will make more sense as we go. Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. He, like he's coming back. 
before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will return the hearts of the fathers to children, the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come strike the earth with a curse. So there's this prophesied promise that um, through Malachi that, that he was going to send back Elijah, the guy who was the first guy to carry the Holy Spirit. Yes, he had a predecessor. Yes, that predecessor um, did uh, great and mighty things just like him, arguably more than him. Um, different, grander things than him. You know, uh, it's wild. But he's not sending back Elisha, he's sending back Elijah. Because he's the original. He's like this original father figure and, it, and it's this spirit that was in all of them. Right? It's kind of, we're picturing Elijah the man, but it's this spirit that's coming. We flash forward 400 years to the promise of John the Baptist being coming. Uh, uh, Gabriel's talking to Elijah, um, sorry, Zacharias in the temple. And he says, uh, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to children. The same thing we just read from Malachi 400 years earlier. Gabriel's saying, this, this is that time. I'm going to give you a son. How must that be? You know the whole story. He's, and, he, and then by the time he gets to 117, he will have the spirit and power of Elijah to do the things Malachi said to do. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, children to the father. He's preparing this way for the Lord. It's a crazy, <clears throat> grand thing. <clears throat> See, they were looking for Elijah himself to show up. But it was the spirit of Elijah that could come back. All right? Everybody good? Mm -hmm. All right. Spirit of life, come back. Later on, Matthew 11, John, uh, Jesus is talking here. Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the man Elijah, who actually didn't die, didn't come back, John came. So Elijah the man didn't die, but the spirit that was in him came upon Elisha, he went on to do great and mighty things, lived his life. Later on, we get this prophecy that I'm sending Elijah back, but it's the spirit of Elijah that's going to come back. Maybe Malachi, again, he's a prophet living under the veil. He, he didn't get that little tweak of a detail right. And their assumptions were that this man, Elijah, is going to manifest again. Safe assumption, I would say, since he didn't actually die. He figures he could come back anytime he wanted to. Um, but it's the spirit of Elijah that will return. It returns. It lives through Elijah. It comes back in John the Baptist and, and, and does not the same types of miracles, but on a grander scale. Because the way the Hebrew people judged prophets, that's why Moses is considered the greatest prophet. Now, when you think of Moses, Moses, you don't think of him being a great prophet. But according to the Hebrew people, he's the greatest prophet. All right? Because they measured how much you changed the world yeah. with the word of God by how good a prophet you were. It had nothing to do with, you know, reading people's mail and all that stuff. It was just, can you change the world? John the Baptist, as far as Old Testament prophets go, um, he, he paved the way for Jesus. Like, that's, that's the greatest change. He, he kind of takes the title in that moment according to Jesus here. But if you can have it, he is Elijah in spirit that came. Yeah? Now, 
Flash forward to Matthew 17. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them high on a mountain themselves, and he, being Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as snow. So Jesus is on this, the Mount of Transfiguration, as we call it. He's, I like to think of it as his typical daily prayer, where he's just lighting up, and he's just transforming before the Lord. Um, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to him, talking with him. Now many people preach that this is the, the father of the law, the father of the prophets, kind of uh, ministering to Jesus, the, you know, the, the whole situation that they're in and what's going on. And it, it, it's good ideas. But for today's topic, I just wanted to point out that even though the spirit of Elijah has come, lived on in Elisha, and has returned hundreds of years later in John the Baptist, the man Elijah shows up on the mountain. Why is that important tonight? Well, it's because... I'm really helping you, trying to help you see that there's a thing inside of you that came from God, like a secret agent, not so secret, it tells you it's there, but this secret type agent that's with you from before you're formed in your mother's womb. Yeah. It came from God. That's how he knew what was in you before you were formed. It came from you to lead you, guide you, direct you, and get you to him as fast as humanly possible without doing away with you because Elijah is now standing on the mountain. You see what I'm saying? He wasn't his spirit. The spirit made him. And that spirit was sent back to do its job again and again. Now, this might sound a little bit like what? Reincarnation. Reincarnation. Do we believe in reincarnation? No. Absolutely not. Curse, I wanted to make sure I was going to say the right thing. Um, <laughs> absolutely not. Not true. By the way the world describes it. Yeah. By, that, by, by the world's definition, that's bananas. Because it's a point it wants a man to live and wants to die. That's it. But there's a thing inside of you that was eternal from the get-go, and it will never not be eternal. And according to this, at least under special circumstances, it could get recycled. According to this. But that's just the spirit side of you. And there's no reason to believe that this is a regular occurrence anymore. It could be just as irregular as the virgin birth of Mary. It could be a one-time thing. But this shows us that anything is possible with God at a bare minimum. But the real point I wanted to focus on is that thing inside of us that's from God and knows how to communicate with Him and is effectively, effectively powerful because it comes from that place. It doesn't override you to the point that it does away with you. At the end of it all, you're still, the soul part of you is still good or bad. It's done good deeds or bad deeds. It's still going one way or the other. To some to perdition and some to glory, it says. These are Jesus quotes if you're not, if you're not comfortable with Old Testament stuff. Like it's, the soul part of you is going. The spirit part of you is going to be good no matter what. And so that's why we, as, trans, as people who believe in transformation, we cannot let misguided notions of love and uh, acceptance and all that, we can't let that trump the idea that God wants to transform the world. He's not here to accept it as it is. That's baloney. He could have accepted it as it was 6,000 years ago. He wants to transform it into his image, and he's using the sleeper agents that he told us was there um, from the get-go. Kirsten likes my jokes about spies. 
<laughs> I like you. For those of you on the radio, Kirsten laughs at that. <laughs> yeah, so. How was the Spirit Pastor? We kind of, we kind of covered that. Who was on the mountain? Yeah, who was on the mountain? I believe I kind of covered that too without effectively doing it the wrong way. But Elijah is on the mountain because Elijah never died. Elijah and Enoch were the two people who we have in record that never died. And Enoch, it says, was righteous and walked before the Lord. Enoch walked with God and was no more. Um, there's a little more to the story of Enoch outside of our canonized Bible. We used to have a book in what would be our canonized Bible known as the Book of Enoch. And for those of you who don't know, it's referenced 17 other times quoted and referenced in our canonized Bible. Um, so there's a little more to this story of this righteous man who walked with God and was no more. Um, taken out for, you know, long story, not going to get into that now. But there was a, you know, all that I said, there are two people who walked with God and never died. Elijah and Enoch, right? Now, as we've discussed before, let's not do that. It's getting late. It's like a wind-up dog. You pull the thing out and it just keeps going and going and going. Sorry. Any thoughts or questions on the spirit? Yes, Miss Heather. So, there's this scripture that's really cool and it kind of ties everything together. Like, when I was sitting with Kirsten at the table and Kirsten was talking about, yeah, like there's this, this spiritual thing that happens in the breaking of the bread and when you eat with people and then you guys were talking about like the music and how it does things to not your body, the other parts of you, your spirit and your soul. And um, I always thought it was pretty cool. There's the story about Saul when he gets anointed from 1 Samuel 10. Mm. It says Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? And then you go down a little bit and he's talking to him about what's getting ready to happen. And he says, then you will go on further from there. You will come as far as the Oak of Tabor, and there will be three men going up to God at Bethel. They will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. Um, and then it goes on a little more. It shall be as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and a lyre before them, and they will be mm -hmm. prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. Yeah. Because God's cool. Because God's cool. There's actually multiple times in the Old Testament where when they needed an answer from God, they bring out the musicians. They bring out the musicians to get the party started, you know, get the Holy Spirit moving, and, and then the prophets could pick him. All right, there he is, and then, then you know, but it, it's music. Music is the portal. It's a weird thing. It's a whole other topic that we kind of got off on. Sorry, but it's, it's powerful. No, I think it, I does, I'm not just trying to help everything tie in for you, but like it definitely Did I not tie in? Good? No, you did a great job. <laughs> I think it ties in greatly because it's this whole thing is how do we transform our soul? We, how do we give our spirit like the green light to just yeah. totally transform our soul? Hearing the soul, like the blockers to the spirit is really important. Like music can either be a, a, a tool to release the spirit and give it the, the green light or it can be a red light blocker yeah. saying, no, I don't want you here. I'm going to let my soul do its thing. So I do think it all fits in yeah. beautifully. Yeah, music, uh, self-pity, self-loathing. There's, yeah. there's a number of things that just 
just crank the volume up on the soul side of yeah. you and shut down the only hope you have. Um, there's a number of, uh, yeah, that's a big topic. Any other thoughts or questions? It's getting late. Here they are. They're back. This is how you, this is how you handle children's program. You just end it. Amen. Hey, if y'all want to do this topic some more, just let me know. We can do it a whole other night. If not, if you're good, I'm good. If you have any questions, love you guys. Yeah. If there's any panic in your heart. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good way of saying it. If there's any panic in your heart. Josh is freaking out. Josh is panicking. Okay. I love your mouth back right Hey. Oh, I am. Yeah. <laughs> yes, although they do have homeschool day. Yes, they do. It's just a good Right? Uh-huh. You're pagan? Are you saying you don't shop in advance? You go to Isaac and stuff. Yeah. You got a picture. Yeah. Every time I walk in advance, I always go. Are you special so faithful? Yeah. That's funny. I use Fisher so faithfully. Yeah. It's like, I'm out when I walk in, they know my voice. Glad Water told you to actually come here. Listen, you know. I do like your video. They do That's the only way to get through this. See you, bud. Oh, thank you. Josh, have you seen me? Miss Exhausted. I saw you. Oh, you did? What? Oh, she did? Yeah. I told him, I told him, I said, man, so yeah, we're getting a little late, you gotta wrap it up. And then, uh, we'll talk for a while. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna Oh wait, I should cut my recorder off. <laughs>